again, my name is Paula. I'm an assistant pastor here. I've been an assistant pastor here um, for just a little over five years. I came on when I was pregnant with my twins who are now going into school and I cry every day, both happy and sad tears. Um, I can't decide if I'm really excited or really sad. Um, they can also not decide. They, they want to learn to read, but they don't wanna go to school. Um, they're little introverts. So I'm married and I work here, and that's really all you need to know about me except this one really important thing, and that is that I have the goodest boy. Uh, Abraham, if you can show that picture. His name is George. He is the light of my life. Um, George is the greatest being on this planet. You can't convince me otherwise. He is as close to perfection as you can get. Um, and he does actually tie in to what I'm gonna speak about. So let me tell you about George. George poops exclusively in neighbor's yards. He has never pooped in our yard. Um, we have tried, and so uh, a few months ago we had a negative interaction because he poops in the neighbor's yard with a neighbor. And so I was trying to train him to poop in our yard. And so we go outside and I had him on a leash and he hasn't been on a leash ever because he does whatever he wants. Um, and I'm like, George, go poop. And he just started like shaking his head and got away from me and just went inside. Like, no, I refuse to poop in this yard. Um, George is severely extroverted. So he knows all of our neighbors. Just last night, I woke up from a nap and we didn't know where he was. And so he kind of wanders, we're like, oh, he'll come back. Well, it's almost nine and I still don't know where George is. And so I start texting neighbors, have you seen George? Have you seen George? And he was at a party that one of our neighbors was having and he'd been there for hours, just hanging out. Um, so he frolics when he runs, he doesn't run, he just frolics. Um, I try to get videos of this, but every time I start the video, he stops frolicking. Um, and despite him having a giant head, George does not have a single thought <laughs> behind those eyes. Just vibes. George is just vibing through life. Um, and delivery drivers have stopped at our house not to deliver a package, but to say hello to George because he wasn't outside in their truck when they delivered a package to the neighbor. Um, my neighbor has pulled him out of delivery driver's trucks. So if you look past his flaws though, he is perfect and the goodest boy that's ever existed. Um, but George actually does have a special gifting and George is very empathetic and George is a born service dog for others, not me. Um, so George knows when people are sad. However, when I shot super glue in my eye about nine months ago and was Screaming, he just kept sleeping. But if Ladina is in the room, he feels that he has to comfort Ladina. Um, he believes that Ladina is in a perpetual state of stress. <laughs> and, I, and I did get Ladina's permission to share that because I was like, I don't know, maybe she is always stressed. Like, um, I have heard my neighbors talk about George being their service animal um, and how George always knows when they're sad. And I have one neighbor that George is very aggressive about getting out of our house to go check on. 
and that was the same neighbor he was partying with last night. So um, he doesn't know whose dog he is. Um, and so we humans, we love stories of animals that save or help humans. And so I did a really quick Google search of this um, to see what kind of videos, and there was, you know, like, whale saves human from shark, dolphin saves human from shark, um, bird dials 911. Okay, some are really far-fetched, but my favorite was Sammy the chicken saves man from a broken heart. So, um, obviously, if your heart is so broken that a chicken saves you, therapy, okay? Therapy. Um, chickens are terrible dinosaurs. Um, so, even my cat, who doesn't like to come in my house and, like, doesn't even acknowledge me if I, like, call her, she brings me, I don't know, they're like, voles? Are they mice? She brings me disgusting creatures because she thinks I'm too stupid to hunt. She's like, you giant idiot, eat this. Um, but so pets, humans and pets have this connection. And so that's actually what our story is about today. It's about someone who had a pet that saved them. So we're still in our Exodus journey and the Israelites are drawing to the end of their 40 years in the desert and they're making their way to, it, to the promised land. And um, just before this story, but it's important to set the tone, they come to this land that is occupied by the Amorites. And Moses sends messengers to the king of the Amorites, and he says, please allow us passage. We'll pay you for any resources. And the king says, no. And Moses um, sends another, and he's like, okay, please let us through. We won't, even, we won't even use any of your resources. And the king says no, and the king actually goes to battle with Israel, and Israel defeats them because Israel has God with them and God on their side, and he leads them to victory. But this sets the tone. All of the other nations are now very fearful of Israel. They were afraid before because they keep calling Israel a horde. They're like, this nation is a horde of people, and they're afraid that their resources will be t used by the Israelites. But they're also afraid because they remember Egypt, and the last 40 years, they've seen Israel's God go before them and lead them into victory. Um, so this nation, Moab, um, they are like all the other nations, they are worried about Israel. And the king of Moab, he understands that Moses is very powerful because of the God of Israel. And he understands that um, it, the issue isn't a physical, their army is better than my army. He understands that it is Moses has spiritual abilities because of their God. But the king of Moab, his name is Balak, he knows a sorcerer, and this sorcerer is also very powerful. And the sorcerer had prophesied that Balak would be king. So he knows that he's very powerful, and he also knows that what he speaks happens, that he knows the future. So he sends these messengers to see this prophet sorcerer Balaam. And these messengers are actually princes of Moab, and so they go to Balaam, and Balaam tells them, um, stay, and I will see what God 
says to me. Um, and he actually uses Yahweh, so he is talking about God, the same God that the Israelites are worshiping. And it's believed that Balaam was a descendant of Abraham through Ishmael, so he did have knowledge of the God of the Israelites. Now, he was still pagan and probably worshiping multiple gods, but in this instance, he tells them that he will see what the God of Israel says. Um, and so Balak, the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, which is near the river, um, in the land of the people of Amwa, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. So again, they still remember Egypt. It was 40 years ago, but they still know what happened in Egypt. Um, they cover the face of earth and are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that who you bless is blessed and who you curse is cursed. Um, and so Balaam does tell the messengers that he won't say anything. He can't go against God. And so then in the night, um, God appears to him and he asks why they're there. And um, Balaam tells him again, this people came out of Egypt, and they're too mighty, and Balak wants me to curse them. And God tells Balaam to not go. And um, so the next morning, Balaam goes out. He tells the messengers, God said, I can't go. So they go back to Balak. And um, one second. And Balak is not pleased. He cannot comprehend why Balaam would turn down um, the gifts that he's offering. He tells him that he will give him a lot of honor. And so he cannot understand why Balaam wouldn't come to curse Israel. And so he sends more princes, more honorable than the last princes. And he says, let nothing hinder you from coming to me. Surely I will do you great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. And again, Balaam tells the messengers, I can't go against the command of what God tells me to do, but stay another night and I will see what he says. And so this time in the night, God tells Balaam to go, but to not do anything he does not command. And so the next morning, Balaam rises, he saddles his donkey and they leave. Um, but then the very next verse is that God is angered with Balaam and that he sends an angel to be his adversary. So Balaam is on the road to Balak to curse Israel and the Lord is angry. And so it says he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, neither to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. 
And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. So, like George can sense people's emotions, this angel sees something that her owner cannot see. Um, but honestly, I think if someone was trying to kill me, George would just greet them. And then, like, you know, they're riding high on adrenaline from trying to murder me. And he would be like, dude, you're really stressed. Do you need me to calm you down? And I would be dying. He'd be like, can you just chill? Um, but this donkey is actually very loyal, and she tries to save her owner. Um, and so three times she tries to save her owner, and three times she struck. So she gets no credit. And um, apparently in ancient times, your donkey acting a fool was like really shaming. So it's, we don't understand that. Like I was like, why? I mean, he's frustrated, but it's actually a sign of shame. And other texts that relate this story talk about um, it made him look like because he couldn't handle his donkey in front of these princes, he wasn't going to be able to curse a nation. And so finally, um, the, just the weirdest part of this story is that the donkey then speaks to Balaam. And Balaam acts like this is just an everyday occurrence. There's no um, indication that he's shocked. And so she asks him, why are you hitting me? And uh, am I not your donkey that you've ridden on your whole life? And is it my habit to treat you like this? And he, he says, no. And then after this, his eyes are opened, and he's able to see this angel that God has sent to kill him. And the first question that the angel asks Balaam is also, why have you hit your donkey these three times? Um, and he says, behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside these three times. Uh, surely I would have killed you and let her live. And Balaam says to the angel, I have sinned for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Therefore, it is evil in your sight. I will turn back. Um, but the angel tells him, go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. And so Balaam continues on to Balak. Um, and I couldn't understand. Um, I was really confused because God tells him to go. And then the next verse, God's mad at him. But apparently the... Balaam going and saddling his own donkey the next morning is a sign that he was excited to curse Israel because what he would have normally had his servant, but he was in such a hurry that he, he went out first thing and saddled his donkey so that he could leave and that he could curse Israel. Um, and so when Balaam arrives, he meets with Balak and Balak asks him why he wouldn't come the first time. And Balaam tells him again that he, he will not go against what God says and what God tells him. Um, no mention that his donkey just spoke or even that he saw an angel. It's old news. Um, if my donkey talked to me, I would never talk about anything else. I would only talk about that donkey. Um, and then I would spend the rest of my life trying to get people to see the donkey talk. Um, so the next day, or nope. Balaam, or Balak first uh, sacrifices seven oxen and seven sheep. And then the next day he takes Balaam up to a high point so that he can see Israel. 
And again, Israel is huge. So from their vantage point, they can't even see all of Israel. They only see a portion of Israel. And so when they get up there, Balaam instructs Balak to build seven altars and again um, sacrifice seven oxen and seven sheep. And then he begins an oracle. Um, and this first oracle over Israel, Balaam proclaims that he cannot curse who God does not curse. And so we know that God has blessed Israel time and time again. Um, and then it ends with him just proclaiming how large the nation of Israel is. And Balaam is really irritated. Um, and so he's like, well, let me take you to this other point. So they go, they go to another point, and again, Balaam instructs Balak to build seven altars and sacrifice seven oxen and seven sheep. And they do that. And then Balaam begins an oracle about God's faithfulness that he's not man, that he does not lie, and that God always stays true to his word. And again, he reiterates, he cannot curse who God has not cursed. And um, he finishes this oracle proclaiming that Israel's God dwells with them, that he is with them where they go. And Balak, his response to this is, if you won't curse them, don't bless them. Like, stop talking. Um, but Balak doesn't catch a hint, so he's like, let me take you to another spot. And so again, they go to another high point, and again, they cannot see the entire nation. They're only seeing a portion of the nation, but it's still so huge. And Balaam begins his third oracle by describing Israel. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloe the Lord has planted, and like cedar trees besides the waters. So again, just there's so much of Israel, but he also sees the spirit of God, and he sees God's um, taking care of them and providing for what they need. And then he begins to speak of Israel's king, that he will be mighty and he will be great. And he ends this oracle, oracle by saying, blessed are those who bless you, Israel, and cursed are those who curse you. And so now Balak is furious. Three times he's asked this guy to curse Israel. It's actually more like four or five times that he's asked. But three times uh, Balaam has blessed this nation and in this last oracle, he's basically cursed Balak for wanting to curse Israel. And so he tells Balaam, go home, just leave. And Balak again, or Balaam again says, I told you, I could not go against what the Lord God says. And he says, I will offer another oracle and I will tell you what will happen. And, um, he, he leaves with this prophecy, and it's not just over Moab, but it's a prophecy over the nations that Israel will dis, dispossess and displace and will conquer. And um, he says, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob's one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. He continues to prophesy about the other nations occupying the promised land. Um, they will be burned. They will be taken captive. Then, um, and they will see utter destruction. So this is a really weird story. Um, and it, it appears, it's never mentioned that Israel has any idea that this is happening. And so whether... Um, they find this out from um, people talking and people t end up telling Israel or whether God reveals this to Moses at a later date. But Israel is just camped and they're just kind of hanging out doing their Israel thing. And they don't, uh, they don't seem to know that um, there is an enemy at work behind the scenes, an enemy trying to destroy them through stealth. And... Um, it's, it's hard to, when you just read through this, it's hard to know what the point is, um, other than don't hit donkeys, because they'll talk at you. Um, I now consider donkeys to be very wise. Um, so, but there is actually some points, and uh, first is that God is with his people, and Balaam actually proclaims this over Israel multiple times, that God is with his people. And um, Charles Spurgeon spoke on this story, and he said what a mercy it was for them that they were guarded by a watcher, a holy one whose eyes can never slumber. And in, Oza in Isaiah, God proclaims himself Israel's keeper, watching night and day. And this role of watcher and keeper and guardian, this was transferred to the church when Jesus um, rose from the dead and established the church. And so now we have the Holy Spirit who also watches over us and helps us in these times. Um, but God is with us and we, we have access to him. And he, we can trust that he's guarded us from things that we've never been aware of. Um, and maybe one day we'll be aware of them. I think a lot of times as we get older, um, we look back on when we did really stupid stuff when we were young, and we're like, okay, yes, God was definitely with me. God definitely protected me. That could have gone really poorly. Um, but there will be things that on this earth that God keeps from us that we, we may never have any idea, but we can rest that he is watching for us and that he is guarding us. Um, and then our, our second point is that our giftings belong to God. And so it's a little different for us in the church because we know and we talk about the gifts of the spirit and we talk about how the Lord gives us gifts to serve him. Um, Balaam was a pagan prophet. And while he knew God, he wasn't in, it doesn't appear that he was in a good relationship with God. He was likely worshiping other pagan gods also and sacrificing and there was a lot of weird commentary about things that Balaam did. Um, but we belong to God if we have accepted salvation. And so we know that there are gifts that God gives us um, to better serve him and to serve his kingdom and to preach uh, salvation to others. And But God still used Balaam, even though he wasn't... Um, 
he was pagan. And Balaam skipped out of his tent that morning to go and to curse Israel. And God still used him to bless Israel, not once, but four times. And God will use our gifts because they're his. God gave Balaam the gift of prophecy. And um, Balaam's heart was to do evil and to work against God's plan. But God was never going to allow that because God gave him those gifts. And God gives us our gifts. And we need to use and steward them for his kingdom. And so some people have really, um, what I would say are flashy gifts. They seem really awesome. You know, they can prophesy or maybe they can pray over people and they're miraculously healed. But it's not actually these people. It's God. God works through them. And I am a huge proponent that sometimes the simple gifts are what are the most amazing gifts. I have a friend who makes the greatest coffee and she, you know, she uses that and she's hospitable and she welcomes people into her home and mentors them and loves them. Um, my mom is a cheerleader. Um, just, she just can speak such encouraging words to people and she's just always cheering people on, even people that you're like, I don't, I don't know, they're not that great. She's like, they're amazing. Um, I'm not, this is a weird follow-up to that. She calls Tim, sweet baby Tim. Tim is not a person that I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, um, but she's always just loved Tim and just so much encouragement. And there's a lot of people she calls sweet baby and it's annoying, but I'm not one of them, obviously. <laughs> um, but she just loves to encourage people. And my husband can fix anything. Um, we had been dating about six months and I had these sweatpants and they had this knot that for a year and a half I had been trying to get this knot out and I, he just picked it up one day and was like, Doop, and the knot was un, untangled and he still makes fun of me for it. But that was the day that I was like, this guy can fix anything. <laughs> like He did that knot. Um, and my gift is having a dog who knows when Ladina is stressed and then I take Ladina for coffee. Um, that's my gift. But these, these gifts that might not be flashy or they might not be what people are drawn to in crowds, these are still used to advance the kingdom of heaven. I've always, um, I've always said that giving meals is a gift, you know, and it seems silly, but I've been in a place where I've needed meals and people have brought me meals and it is a gift and if you've ever received meals you just know that oh, thank goodness I don't have to cook there's food um so what are your gifts and if you don't know what your gifts are take a spiritual gifts test um we have access to a free one I will send it to you this week but find out what your gifts are and then pray on how you can use your gifts um and then the final point, but the most important point, is that God keeps his word. And um, God had spoken to Abraham long before Moses or Balaam. And he made promises to Abraham that we see him keeping here with Balaam. He will not curse Israel. And remember that for 40 years, Israel had been whiny and worshiping gods and trying to make idols. And they were not true to their word, but God was true to his word. Um, 
And you, even this pagan sorcerer had to proclaim God's word because God's word is true. And Balaam proclaims that, that God does not lie, that he is not man, that he is always honest, and that he keeps his word. Um, and he also uses Balaam to speak about 1,300 years into the future about the Messiah. And so Balaam talks about this star will come out of Israel, and 1,300 years later, a literal star appeared over Israel, and it signified that Jesus had been born. And, um, and Jesus being born was the salvation that God promises all through the New Test or the Old Testament also, and he fulfills in the New Testament. And um, if you have not accepted the promise of salvation, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite you to do that today. And you can trust that God keeps his word and that God will keep your salvation even when you mess up. Um, and Balaam was not the only one to proclaim salvation. It was proclaimed over and over again. And Jesus fulfills it. And so if you, if you struggle and you're like, I don't know if I trust that salvation is true, just start in the Old Testament and read right through because you will see that it is, uh, salvation is foretold again and again and again. And then Jesus is born and he is the fulfillment of that salvation. And you'll see so many other times that God brings salvation when Israel needs it. Um, and so the band is going to come back on, and then we're going to worship, but we're going to have our pastoral team up front. And if you have not accepted salvation and you would like to do so today, come and pray with us. We want to pray with you and over you as you step into salvation and how you can work out your salvation. Um, but if you have accepted salvation... I'm going to encourage you to remember and to meditate the promises that God has given you. Um, just this week, I was thinking about um, words I've had spoken over me or promises that I've had, and it can be easy to forget. It can be easy to question, well, where is this? But we know that God keeps his word, and we know that he gives us gifts to um, further his kingdom and he gives us words so that we can walk in those gifts and that we can walk in this salvation so if you have accepted salvation still come be prayed for be prayed over that you will use your gifts for his glory be prayed over that you will remember his the words that he's spoken over you and the promises that he's given you and that you will um, that you will walk towards them and walk in those promises and then just this week, um, meditate on these things. Meditate on the promises God has given you. Meditate on your giftings. And begin to pray that God will um, show you where to use these things. And that you will be able to quiet your mind and be able to hear him speak. So I'm going to pray and then we'll continue in worship. Lord God, we love you. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are faithful and that you are faithful when we are not faithful. And Lord, you're not just faithful, but you're generous and all-consuming and abounding in love. And Lord, I just ask that this, this week we would walk in your faithfulness, Lord God, that we would be even more sensitive and aware of it, 
than we are. Lord God, I just pray that those who have not known you or are coming into a relationship with you, Lord God, that they would just, their eyes would be opened and they would see your glory. In your name, amen.